0: You know, so many things are happening in the world right now. I thought it would be a good time to share some of these things and what the Bible has to say about of it. About it. Um, you know, several things I am absolutely sure of. And the first one, I got to thinking, you know, that little poem that came out a number of years ago that said, everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten? Well, one of those things is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. You know, if that was the only thing we knew about Jesus, we'd actually get a long way down the road with him, even if we didn't have a Bible. Um, But he died to save us, he lives for us to keep us from our sins, and he is our Savior, and he has promised to come back again and take us to heaven with him. Now, today, I'm not going to be the only one that's talking. Some of you guys are going to talk. So maybe you want to get the microphones back again. <coughs> because I want somebody to read this verse for us. You're familiar with this one. Who will read it? And if you don't, raise right here, Beverly will read it. And if you don't raise your hands, I may call on you. So get ready. Get ready. now. It's, it's on. on. Okay. John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We got the hope in that promise. It's wonderful. You know, but many people have heard that. They've heard the truth of the second coming at some point in their lives, but they got tired of waiting. You know, William Miller in 1822 came up with the basic prophetic timeline that we still use today. Um, His timeline was correct. However, he thought the cleansing of the sanctuary at the end of that timeline was Jesus coming, which it it wasn't. but when Jesus didn't come, many people left the Millerite movement. However, a few of them started studying more and praying more, and they became the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And this message of Jesus is coming again has been preached by our church since its inception in the 1860s. So with the preaching of Miller's time in our church, that's about 200 years worth of this message being preached. But yet Jesus still hasn't come. Okay, who will read this one? Okay, Sharon will. This is back in the Old Testament. This tells us something. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, I want somebody to tell me in one word what it says we're, supposed to, we're going to be doing. Waiting. Waiting, yes, wait. That's exactly right. So God's people should pray in faith, uh, spread the three angels' messages, and await for God to act. But Peter says there's something else is going to happen. Who will read this one? Come on. Who can read? Okay, Jim's going to read. 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Okay, who is behind and urges all scoffers? The devil. Very good. Okay. So what's a scoffer? It's one who mocks, derides, or is a false teacher. They show contempt by their acts or language, such as contempt, ridicule, or scorn. They might say, Jesus isn't coming, or I can't believe you're stupid enough to believe that. Or they might even be saying, Jesus is coming, and we're all going to have a second chance. You know, they could say many things but they're false, or they might be true, but not the whole truth. Okay, so I want to ask you some questions. Second chances. Was there a second chance at the flood? Nope, exactly. If you walked up the gangplank and you went in the ark, you lived. If you did not, you perished. But once the angel shut the great door on that ark, your destiny was sealed. How many people lived? Eight, exactly. Uh, nor, nor was there a second chance when the angel of Death visited Egypt the night before their deliverance. Where were the belie- wait a minute. where were the believers to put the blood from the Passover sacrifice on the, on the doorpost? You either had the blood on the doorpost or you did not. If you did have the blood on the doorpost, what happened to the firstborn in your household? They lived, they lived. OK. If not, they died. It was simple as that. Our opportunities to choose are right now. Okay, third example. In Jerusalem, Jesus warned the people about seeing the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. He says if they were in Judea, they were to not go back into the house and get anything. If they were in the field, they were not to go back and even get their clothes. The Christians understood that warning, so when the Roman army came and surrounded Jerusalem, they planted their banners on the temple holy place land, but very strangely, just about as soon as they had come, they marched away. But the Christian believers understood the sign and immediately left for another city, and their lives were saved. And historical references say every single one of them. They prayed and they obeyed and God blessed. Their flight was not on Sabbath or in cold weather. It happened to be in the fall when the weather was mild and it was in the middle of the week. Now I want to ask you another question. Who stayed in Jerusalem thinking that God and the temple and the ark would protect them? The Jews. The Jews stayed. But they didn't obey Jesus, and they were totally annihilated, destroyed, when the Roman army returned. They did not have a second chance. And you might even hear some strange things coming from some of our own church members or church of Fish people. One of our Adventist theologians recently said that the great controversy thoughts are too old-fashioned. They're too 19th century. We should not expect an actual national Sunday law. And we should not expect the final events to unfold precisely as described in the Great Controversy. And there are others that are Adventists that think that the church needs to rethink Genesis 1 through 11. We're talking about creation, as the Bible said. Some people say, that's not literal. Now, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you what some others are thinking. But this shouldn't surprise us. We have been warned that many a bright star will go out. You can't trust what any man or woman says. So don't trust what I say. You've got to look it up in the good book for yourself. You must keep trust and faith in Christ and in his word and in the spirit of prophecy. And each one of us needs to be diligent in searching the scriptures. We need to make sure that we know our truths, that we go over and over again and get familiar with them. We need to be familiar with it, as familiar with it as you are, say, in your work, what you do for a living—a school teacher, you know, a nurse, um, a mechanic, whatever. Um, if you don't, we're endangering our Christian life <clears throat> and our character. And we need this for three reasons: one is just to prepare us for what's coming ahead; two is so we can share with others and help them to prepare; and three is to protect us and prevent us from being carried away by every wind of doctrine that Satan is trying to send our way. So sharing scriptures, can each of you, think about this, if you had a friend that said, well, why do you go to church on Sabbath? Why why do you go on Saturday? What's the deal about that? Could you take your Bible out and at least show them three or four references for that? Or if they say, You know, I know you don't think people are going to heaven when they die. Why in the world do you think that? You know, do you have a few references in your Bible you could share with them? Any of our precious beliefs you need to have in your Bible marked. So if you start with one of them, or even if you write in the very front of your Bible, you can see state of the dead, go to this verse. And you go to that verse, and then you write the next verse and the next, and you can do a study that way. And most of us know our doctrines. But have you heard people saying anything strange about our beliefs recently? If you haven't, you will. It's going to happen. Satan is bringing lots of strange ideas around, very nicely wrapped up, to get you off the straight and narrow. And I'm going to share a few with you. Um, The first one is, Jesus is going to come in 2027. 2027. We had lunch with friends recently, and some of their friends came too. And they shared a timeline with us, gave each of us an 11 by 17, you might say, poster and a book. And uh, they said they've got it all figured out. The final jubilee is in 2027, and Jesus is coming shortly thereafter. Um, This is every wind of doctrine. It might be true, but it certainly might not be true. The problem with setting dates is that when folks hear about that, And it doesn't happen, they get discouraged, disheartened, and they just throw it all away. They feel if that's not true, well, nothing else about the message is true. But there's another um, problem with setting dates. I remember when our kids attended academy, we'd go up for special weekends and they'd always have little programs and things, and say if they had a bell choir performance on Sabbath afternoon, they would announce it at church. If it was at about 3 p.m., we'd show up about 2.45. You know, you want to get in, relax, get a good seat so you can see your kids and all that kind of stuff. Only at 2.45, we would discover we were the only ones at the building, and it was locked. So we got to thinking, were we at the wrong location? But after five minutes or so, some other parents would show up. No, we were at the right place, all right. Before long, somebody would come and unlock the door. Then we waited again. At about one minute till three, all the students would rush in. Every door, you'd see them, boom, 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 boom. they're all showing up. And sure enough, at right about three o'clock, they'd line up with their bells and the concert would begin. But it was discouraging to us because we began to think it wasn't going to happen. The kids knew it would, but they waited and procrastinated until the very last minute to do anything about it. That's the problem. If you knew that Jesus was coming in 2027, would you get ready now? Or would you be like most of us and you'd wait till the last minute? But we know that we need to be ready now because he may come when we least expect it. Now, here's another one. Bernard heard recently that the Messiah is going to appear to the Jews in Israel in 2025. Of course, that would be the false Messiah, but can you give me a Bible verse or a thought why that couldn't be Jesus? He would appear to the Jews in Israel. Beverly. Let's get the microphone. Well, I immediately think of Revelation 1-7. Exactly. You know. The Lord is coming, and every eye shall see every him. Every eye not will only see. Him. Coming to one specific place. Yes, yes, exactly. When he comes, every eye all around the world will see him. He's not going to appear just to the Jews in Israel or just to any one group of people. Okay, this next one may not be as theologically important, but I recently heard one of our leading ministers say. A garden is not going to do you any good. When we're all in the wilderness, we will not be in our homes eating out of our gardens. All that organic food is not going to help at all. Now, that statement is true, but it's not the whole truth. And I think it's a sad statement that was made. Now, at the very end, we will have to leave our homes. We will be in the wilderness, and God will provide for his own. Uh, He fed the children of Israel for 40 years with manna from heaven. He fed Elijah, remember, with water from the brook Cherith and ravens that brought him food. Um, And then he told Elijah to go to a widow in the town of Zarephath, and God blessed her oil and water supply, I mean, oil and flour supply, so that it was enough to feed her and Elijah and her son for many days until God sent the rain. And I believe with all my heart that he will do absolutely the same thing and take care of us at that time too. But that statement about the garden is sad because it discourages us from doing what God has said to do right now. We're not in the wilderness right now. Uh, And there is going to be time before we leave our homes when a garden would be a great blessing. You know, children can help with the garden, have an area of their own where they can grow flowers and vegetables, and you can learn a lot of lessons from gardening. And you get strength from being outside. And food fills your bellies. Um, The church is blessed with the spirit of prophecy. Our church is. We have a voice, a prophetic voice who has already spoken, that says, move out to the country. Get some land where you can grow a garden. And fathers and mothers who possess a piece of land and a comfortable home are kings and queens. But I'm preaching to the choir on that one because about everybody in this church lives either in a small town or out in the country. Um, But there are benefits to being there. In the country, you got more clear skies and fresh, pure air to breathe. you got pretty surroundings with the fields and the water and the woods you got land where you can grow flowers and fruits and vegetables. Um, You may not be aware, but the elitists and the globalists who seem to be in charge of what's happening right now are trying to get rid of a good portion of people. Now, you may think that is the craziest thing in the world, but it certainly appears that way right now because they seem to be trying to cause a food shortage. And in just the last month, you may not be able to read all that, but it's a... it shows that in more than a dozen food processing plants in this country have been disabled by freak events. There's two dozen of them listed here. One of them was hit by a plane. The rest caught fire. And this has been going on since 21 and into 22. It's a disproportionate number of food processing plants all over the U.S. have had unexplained accidents. And as you can see, they're all Over. Oregon, Kansas, Idaho, California, New Hampshire, Texas, Maine, Indiana, Arizona, Arkansas, Washington, Oregon, and it just it goes on. Um, now, this is a picture of the Azure Standard uh, office fire. That's a, a large organic distributing company, the largest one, independent one in the country. And um, in many of these cases, the fires were totally uncontrollable, and they just seemed to erupt suddenly and they weren't able to save the structures because the fires were so enormous. You know, I hope truly that these things were simply accidental, but it just really does seem strange. And the government has recently said that food shortages are going to be real. Another example, Union Pacific Railroad recently announced that they would start deplatforming rail cars carrying fertilizer to U.S. farmers. That makes you wonder. As we're running straight into a global food crisis, why would the rail companies decide to drop fertilizer and also grain shipments? And companies like CF Industries, which produces nitrogen and hydrogen fertilizers, were warned that if they didn't reduce the number of their rail cars by 20 percent, they would be banished from the entire rail system. And more than 30 companies are facing these restrictions um, seems to be jeopardizing farmers' harvest, and it's going to increase the cost of food for everybody. And fertilizer prices are at record highs. They're almost double last year's. And if you don't believe it, you go talk to Bobby. He'll tell you. <laughs> that, Bobby, I know you're in the back listening. That means the cost of crops is going to be higher. And if the farmers can't get the fertilizers they need, yields are going to be lower if they plant at all. So we're going to continue to pay higher prices for food. So see why having a garden is a a good idea? Here in East Texas, you can grow both cool and warm weather vegetables, of course at different times of the year. uh, Berries, melons, and other small fruits do well here. Peaches are available in the summertime. And if you have a persimmon tree, they ripen just about the time of the first frost. Garden in your backyard can put food on your plate. And it's a really good thing to have flowers. They're beautiful, but they also attract the pollinators. And the pollinators pollinate your fruits and veggies so that you have more of them. A lot of people don't realize that. That garden just might keep you alive. Now, if these things aren't enough to uh, wake you up, there's more. (laughs) Supposedly, a new bird virus is around, and the government authorities have destroyed more than 30 million chickens and turkeys in this country due to that flu. And this includes big poultry and game producers, you know, the ones that have thousands and thousands of birds. But they're also going into backyards to backyard enthusiasts. So if the officials come and condemn your birds, they're going to destroy them. Now, and just when the flow of goods from Asia was getting back a little more normal, Something else is going on. China now has massive draconian lockdowns. So factories have stopped altogether, at least some of them. They're larger ones. Uh, trucking of goods to the ports is down over 50%, and container ships are not getting loaded. And I'm not trying to scare you, but you can't keep your head in the sand and pretend like all this is not happening. You know, it is the work of Satan. He is trying to dishearten God's people and unsettle their faith. But we know that at that time, you know, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now, there's two other um, ones from Psalms that I'd like to read, 27, 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And Psalm thirty-seven, thirty-nine. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. As believers, we have nothing to worry about from God in the time of trouble. Now, in the time of trouble, people will be upset with us, but God will not. And these, these verses are full of promises for God's people. But the crisis is steadily up upon us. The sun shines in the heavens, passing its usual round, and the heavens still declare the glory of God. Men still eat and drink and plant and build, marry. Merchants are still buying and selling Men are jostling one another, contending for the highest place. Pleasure lovers are still crowding to theaters and gambling halls. The highest excitement prevails, but probation's hour is fast closing. Every case is about to be eternally decided. Satan sees his time is short, and he's set all his agencies to work. To deceive men, delude them, occupy their time, entrance them, until the day of probation ends and the door of mercy is forever shut. The time is right upon us when there will be sorrow that no human balm can heal. Sentinel angels, you know, words, the four angels, are now restraining the four winds that they shall not blow till the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. But when God shall bid his angels loose the winds, there will be a scene of strife such as no pen can picture. So there's a lot going on out there, and there's still more happening in the world. The, in December of 2020, this Council for Inclusive Capitalism announced a new partnership between the Vatican, and the Rothschilds, and some of the large investment and in business leaders around the world. Pope Francis wants an economic system that is fair and trustworthy. I thought, well, that sounds good, but what has a church got to do with being involved with big business? I couldn't figure that one. But this council is led by a core group of global leaders known as the Guardians. They represent the largest companies in the world with over 200 million workers in many countries. But more reading led me to realize that what they really want to do is eliminate the free market capitalism, our economic system on which the U.S. is based And which is provided, and it's not perfect by any means, but it has provided more freedom, more opportunity, and more wealth for anyone who was willing to come to the U.S. and work. Well, this coalition that they have may end up being a massive transfer of wealth into their coffers under the guise of Christian charity. This is kind of part of the big reset. I think there's a lot involved with that. COVID crisis accelerated it because, you know, many companies and small businesses were forced to close during COVID. Sixty percent of those never reopened. But there were a few large corporations and businesses that saw record profits at the expense of many of the small ones closing. And the World Economic Forum saw COVID as a great opportunity to reorganize society and gain control. Um, they started the Great Reset in response to COVID and also for climate change. And they consider it part of the fourth industrial revolution. And those three were the mechanical revolution, the electrical, and the digital. And I thought this was strange, but here's what they want to do. The fourth industrial revolution is where they the convergence of artificial intelligence and genetics. And you're like, what are they talking about? They would love to merge humans and machines. So that once we become digital entities, they can monitor us, surveil us, and our every move will be collected and stored. They would like to connect our brains brains directly to the cloud to mine our thoughts. But a note of hope. The great reset is doomed to ultimate failure. All these things are. Revelation 18 says so. And I want you to go home this afternoon and read Revelation 18, but I'm going to read a little bit out of it and pick and choose. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities." Therefore, her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire. And the kings of the earth, they shall bewail her and lament for her. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn for her. For no man buys their merchandise anymore. For in one hour, so great riches come to nothing. You know, God is going to take care of this. But we're not quite there yet. Um, Those behind the Green Revolution would like now a climate lockdown to reduce fossil fuel usage. But it's really about destroying the global economy and exterminating the human population. And here's another one to think about. Have you heard of UBI? Universal Basic Income. That's a financial plan where all citizens will regularly receive uh, a financial amount paid by the government, without having to work or to do anything to receive it. They've set an amount so far at 1000 a month, and some people would be able to live on that. So they wouldn't work since they don't have to, and there are several reasons I feel this is a bad idea. It will not solve poverty, for Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. always. Yeah, it's not going to work. It's not economically sustainable. It's been tried before, and it didn't work. Because the fewer people you have working, the fewer you have to pay taxes to pay for this. And it's not good for people not to work. God works and he made man to work. Remember on the seventh day, God ended his work. He works. And then on Sabbath, he rested from all his work. And it says God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. So man's supposed to work. You know, people are happier generally when they work, when they can provide for themselves and take care of their families. It gives them a sense of purpose, a feeling of well-being, and it boosts physical, mental, and emotional health. Another problem with the UBI is that before long, there'll be restrictions on it, like there are in China. Certain behaviors are acceptable. Others are not. Discussing religion or grumbling about state policy is unacceptable. So those bad behaviors will result in a lack of privileges like your job or money in the bank or faster Internet or bank loans or the ability to travel. They'll keep you from going anywhere. They'll keep your children from going to school. They just, and if, if you're bad enough and you're blacklisted, you'll be sent to re-education camp. Now, the globalists and elitists are not happy about people they cannot control. Now think about this. If you live in the country and you raise your own food and you don't take the UBI offered, they are much less likely to be able to control your activities. And I understand that the globalists really fear these people because they're totally outside of their realm of control. Now the climate people also are calling for a Sunday Green Sabbath, forcing people to stay home in honor of Gaia, the goddess of the earth, it's truly satanic worship. Um, It's instead of our creator, it's on a day chosen by the, the Catholic Church. Sabbath should be about our relationship with God and honoring him. And there will be a global coalition, all the kings of the earth, against God's people. Revelation 13 16 through 17 uh, says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And Revelation 18.3, For all nations, this is going to be a worldwide thing, have drunk of Rome's wine. They're in cahoots with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through association with her. Now, In our education area, the godless theory of evolution has permeated all levels of society, especially in science and education. In many public and some private schools, our children aren't being taught reading, writing, and arithmetic and how to think. Test scores are dropping like a rock. They're being taught about global warming and the polar bears. They go to the library and there's a drag queen reading them some kind of story. It's, It's a sad situation. And also another thing that's being taught is they're learning that their skin color determines their fate. And one group is hopelessly oppressive, and the other groups are hopelessly oppressed. Education is trying to eliminate the strength of America due to us being a melting pot. That's always been our strength. And the military, they've got problems too. I didn't realize this until recently. Christians in the military... The service members and the chaplains risk court-martial, prosecution, or even discharge if they talk about Jesus, quote the Bible, or share their faith. I mean, that's what a chaplain is supposed to be able to do. Even worse, if an atheist, a homosexual, or a non-Christian is offended in any way, the Christian service member can and will be punished. This began back under Obama's administration, and silencing the service members and chaplains is bad enough. But chaplains are now forced to facilitate same-sex marriage ceremonies that desecrate Christian altars in the base chapels. And if they refuse, they face court-martials. Now, kids, you three back there, when do you see the stars the very best? What time of day? At night, all right. How many stars do you see in the daytime? None, exactly. Stars shine best in the darkest night. And I think we're getting closest to the darkest night right now. The Lord has got faithful servants. He's got stars who, in the hard and terrible times, are going to be quite visible. They're precious ones now hidden who have not bowed the knee to Baal, just like in Elijah's day. They have not had the light which is shining on us, some of them but the brightness of a genuine christian character will always shine through and let's remember what jesus said who read this somebody raise your hand okay sharon will if she needs a mic <laughs> it's on its way luke 9:49 to 50 and john answered and said master We saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followed not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbade him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Right we got some beautiful stars out there we're going to look at this morning. One of them is the American Bible Society. They are busy translating the Bible into as many languages as they possibly can. They provide Bibles for our troops. They send them into China. I mean, they do things in wonderful ways. They may send them in weather balloons. They may put them on a donkey and get them across a border. You know, whatever they can. They've now translated um, the Bible into some of the languages in Malawi. This one on your left that that boy in malawi said that's the first bible i've ever received no the one in the middle this bible brings hope to my life she was from malawi and the young man on the left is from cambodia he said that was the first bible he'd ever received and the lady on the right is in uzbekistan and she said i had no money to buy a bible now her picture is not in there for safety purposes now another thing i want to show you charlie kirk he's with turning point usa um He's the founder and president of it. It's a national student movement dedicated to identifying, organizing, and empowering young people to promote the, promote the principles of free markets and limited government. He's a young man. He's got a lot of influence. He's heading a conservative group, but that's not why I mention him. He recently became a Sabbath keeper, and he is sharing this blessing on talks when he goes around the country. So listen uh Charles fixed this so we can listen for two minutes to him and his wife, and his wife leads a, an online Bible study group. These people are not Adventists, but I thought you would enjoy this
1: and there's something really powerful and beautiful in obedience to Christ in obedience to the Holy Spirit, and even to how we've incorporated that in our life with the Sabbath
0: like mm-hmm. honoring the
1: Sabbath and seeing how thats so you could out. you could testify to the audience I actually do it oh a hundred percent he. T- Turns his phone off, puts it in a drawer, doesn't touch Read, it. Read, journal. This is how it goes. Friday night, 5.15, mm-hmm. no later than 5.30. The phone goes into the drawer. drawer, closes the drawer. That's it. That's it. Saturday, 5.15. I did 5:30. 25 hours last weekend. I know. I was really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I so we to church. I know. And he pulls it out of the drawer and turns it back on. That's it. But during that time, which is beautiful, is that you take the time to read scripture. And rest. You rest. You write a note to God. Mm-hmm. You write and you just pray and you meditate on God's word. And I think that's really something that's or And I really work needed. out. I do something restorative. Yeah. Go for a walk. For sure. And the Sabbath has been amazing. And I tell people that all the time. I say it's, it's a gift to us. I know. It's something I that know. we have that can actually benefit our lives. God knows and, us so well. And I, I just want to challenge people, New, Year res, New Year's resolution, you know, if we can find time to do the Sabbath, mm-hmm. we're very busy. Mm-hmm. A lot of demands on our time. People listening can too. Yes. And not only that. And, I, and there could be exceptions at times. Right. Yeah. But, you know, with how much spiritual warfare is going on right now, it is palpable. You can feel it. In rooms you walk into, when you're watching the news, it is surrounding us. And the only way to fight back is with God's word. The only way to understand and make sense of it is with God's Word. And if you don't take time to literally quiet your mind from the noise that's inundating you, from news articles to press releases to your friend doing something, your family member's not allowing you to come to the holidays or whatever, It's really something that, with the sap, within alignment with the Sabbath and God's word, for you to be able to just take a minute to just breathe, cut out the noise, and just be in alignment with the spirit and know what's going on and what your role is in all of this.
0: Wasn't that beautiful? Okay, another one. Can another star? Can anybody tell me what a tent maker missionary is? Okay, in some places we need tent maker missionaries. Many countries will turn people back at the border if they list their vocation as missionary. However, almost anybody can go to a lot of countries as an English teacher, an engineer, a scientist. Doors are closed for missionaries, but they swing open wide when you have a skilled, educated professional who's willing to share their occupational talents and the gospel. And Adventist Frontier Missions will now train and coach individuals and families who are willing to use their careers overseas for the glory of God. You don't call yourself a missionary, but they often speak of their love for Jesus. And where there's no tolerance for overt church work, they make their homes secret churches. Their lives bring Christ into places where the gospel fragrance has never been smelled before. Now, I might have mentioned Farm Stew before for you. It stands for farming, attitude, rest, meals, sanitation, temperance, enterprise, and water. It's an Adventist ministry begun to help our brothers and sisters in African areas where where the malnutrition rate was high. The founder, Joy Kaufman, trained some of the locals, and they, in turn, have trained many, many more. Whole villages have become Seventh-day Adventists, and they have thriving gardens, happy, well-fed nourished children, and clean, tidy villages. Local officials have taken such note of this, they've asked Joy to come to other areas. And this has happened so much, and Farm Stew is growing. It's now in many African countries. It's in Cuba, it's in Brazil, and it's in the Philippines. And they were involved in the big evangelistic series over there. She did the health ministry talks Um, when all of the, uh, what do you call the people? The what? Guerrilla the guerrilla fighters came to the Lord, and she was involved with that. And in teaching them how to garden, they provide training for gardening, starting small businesses, and building and using latrines. And after a um, an entire village is committed to living this uh, healthy lifestyle, they put in a water well in the area so that they have clean water. And these people here, they've now just recently. Uh, they asked for donations recently because even though they were teaching the people what to do, they had no shovels, they had no machetes, they had no hose. So they've now gotten those tools to allow the people. And this is South Sudan, which is probably the worst malnourished country and the hardest to garden in. But now they're uh, going to be able to tend their gardens. And they, these over on the right, they bought them six. They're ox plows. They, they look a little strange, but I guess if you have an ox... Or maybe you can function on your own. I don't know uh, if they're going to be the oxes. But anyway, uh, these people now have hope, and Africa is changing because somebody shared our health message. Each of us can be a bright, shining star for the Lord. And I just wanted you to know that that picture is a real star in the sky, in that constellation. You know, we can serve, whether we serve around the world or we serve right here in Mount Pleasant. Your qualifications are just to be true, faithful, believing, and willing to serve and bring others to God's truth. It's not dull and boring, it's exciting. You might preach to thousands, and you might just share with your neighbor, one person, or a family in the quiet setting of a home. But we need to remember, only those who have been diligent students of the Scriptures and have received the love of the truth, will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. We need to get ready. We want Jesus to welcome us home with, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us, and even though terrible times are going to come, you will be with us. You are our salvation. And we just pray that we will keep those thoughts in our hearts and minds and realize that when we walk out these doors, we're entering the mission field. And we just pray for your blessings this week and ask for your guidance and leading. In Jesus' name, amen.